Okay. Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about Radiant Sin by Katie Robert. This was just published in 2023. And a big thank you to Edelweiss for the arc. And this is number four in the Dark Olympus series. You may remember the Dark Olympus series. Uh, We have reviewed the first three books. It's a weird alternate universe that's kind of related to the Olympian deities. Greek mythology. It's, It's like if the Pantheon was a system of government. Yes, with like some kind of weird maybe magic, but not really. Eh. It's not explained, and that's not the point of the series. Correct. All right. Should we read the book again? I think so. As a disgraced member of a fallen house, Cassandra Gataki has seen firsthand what comes from trusting the venomous 13. But when the maddeningly gorgeous and kind Apollo asks her to go undercover as his plus one at a week-long party hosted by a dangerous new power player, Cassandra reluctantly agrees to have his back. On one condition, when it's all over and Apollo has the ammunition he needs to protect Olympus, she and her sister will be allowed to leave. For good. Apollo may be the city's official spymaster, but it's his ability to inspire others that keeps him at the top. Despite what the rest of Olympus says, there's no one he trusts more than Cassandra. Yet even as their fake relationship takes a wicked turn for the scaldingly hot, a very real danger surfaces, threatening not only Cassandra and Apollo, but the very heart of Olympus itself. Sure. You know, whatever. It's fine. This is a word salad that says absolutely nothing other than Cassandra, Apollo, uh, house party, hosted by dangerous power player. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's fine. Look, I have have no criticism of this book checkup because I don't Where do you start? Look, yeah. it's one thing when we say a book about vampires, like, doesn't mention vampires in the site title because, or I'm sorry, in the book jacket, because vampires have a connotation that, like, in shorthand, it helps a potential reader know what they're getting into. Right. There is no shorthand for fanfic of Olympic gods in the modern day corporate America. Yes, correct. So, like, I can't be mad that a jacket doesn't have it because the fuck? It's fine. The only, I mean, the only thing is, and look, I get that different people read these different ways, but in my opinion, the book jacket is making too big of a deal of the outer trappings of the plot when that's not why I personally am reading these books. But I don't think that really matters. I agree with you. These books remind me a lot of fan fiction, both in the way that they are churned out really quickly with minimal editing and i don't say that as a criticism clearly it is like it's what it is it's it's the way books from these publishers are produced now it's Mm -hmm. the way fan fiction has always been produced Uh but it's it had the trappings of inspiration from an initial thing yeah and then it got really popular 
and the author sort of decided to go in a different direction leading into leaning into the stuff that she'd been praised on. Yeah. Which is great because it means the books are playing to her strength, but also means the like wider world bullet building has completely fallen off. Right. Because the author forgets that while they started with an inspiration that did a lot of that work for them in deviating so far from it, they needed to do a little bit more of it themselves. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a good point. And it's very true because the first two books are much closer to the original myth. And then books three and four have really just sort of gotten some inspiration from these characters. And that's it. Absolutely. And so if you know that and you're sort of just into what are these characters doing, they're really fun. If you wanted the world building that you found so interesting to be continued after the source material was no longer providing that inspiration, you're going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. So... What was your summary, Lane? Um, you may remember that for each episode, we generate a random number between 1 and 50 for novels. Uh, and then we write a summary based on that number. And for this episode, that random number was 7. So what's your 7-word summary, Lane? This is a summary of this book, but also every book in the series. Woman disillusioned with Olympus goes and gets off. You know, fair. Fair. Where's the lie? I, 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 there is no lie. Thank you. What is your summary? Because I think you tackled this book in particular. My seven word summary Cassandra's the Grump, Apollo the Sunshine. Duh. Apollo the Sunshine is real good. It took me, it took me a long time, probably like 75% of the way through this book before I was like, <gasps> <laughs> I was like, it's sunshine Trump and Apollo is a sunshine. We stand. Um, yes, it was probably my favorite mythological reference in the entire book, and it wasn't like explicitly stated, and I fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. Done. <laughs> I really liked this book. It's really fun. Yeah. And I think it's interesting as these books have lost the outer trappings of the Olympus parallels, they've become more and more contemporary mafia in a way. Yeah. Like, I totally not agree. Not obviously with you. the mob, but the 13 is a mob of sorts. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that means they've gotten to lean harder into some of the romancy tropes yes mm -hmm. which has been fun yeah so there are a lot of tropes in this one in this book cassandra works for apollo so he's her boss it's a boss employee romance and of course he initially hired her after a scandal that made her unhirable that had nothing to do with her personally but she has since become his most vital employee. I love it. And then, so they've had crushes on each other for years. This has been a total pining romance. And now they, they need to enter into a fake relationship because Apollo has been invited to a, a trope house party and she needs an excuse to go with him. So she has to go as his plus one. 
One of my only criticisms of the relationship dynamic in this book, a lot was done to explain the lust they had felt for each other in the five years preceding this text, but I didn't feel like either character was talking about feelings for the other person. Mm-hmm through those five years until it suddenly became like, oh, of course I was in love with you the whole time. Like, I don't feel like the groundwork was laid for, not them for falling for each other during this book, but the, oh, we fell for each other romantically, not just with our, you know, lust brains years ago. I mean, it, this is the same, this is the same trope, the it's always been you trope. Yes. That appears in so many books. There's just nothing about their interactions that actually make it, even in the flashbacks like he falls in love with her when she destroys a printer yeah and like he sees her at the copier it's like very you know it's very like there there isn't any emotional groundwork laid to why they got close there's why that they want they wanted to come in their pants that's absolutely laid yes and then they i mean they've been extremely professional with each other for years which yes personally i just love Gotta love a man who knows he's in a position of power and doesn't abuse it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean that with no sarcasm at all. <laughs> Zero sarcasm. Like, no, no, that's... Anyway. Um, so I mentioned the house party trope. This is obviously a trope that usually appears in historical romance. And I loved that she deployed it in this contemporary slash alternate universe of Olympus slash mafia romance. Yep. And I mean, this is a house party complete with games like hide and seek. But it's also a house party with ulterior motives and nefarious intent, (laughs) which we see often from historical romance novels to modern mystery movies. Yes, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. The parts where this book just leaned in were the best. Yes, absolutely. There's also a little bit of the, I'm calling it the one last heist trope. And this is the trope where they're like, okay, I'm just going to do this one last big job, get my money, and then I'm going to retire. That's what Cassandra is doing. She's like, I'm going to do this one final thing for you so I can get this big payout. And then I am leaving Olympus for good. And the reason she desperately wants to leave Olympus for good is because she will do anything to protect her sister from the treacherous reputation and ruin that her parents left behind. Because so she's got, she's yes. very, where, she's wearing her parents' sins everywhere she goes, and she is desperate to sacrifice herself and her own sanity for her sister's benefit. Yes. Yes. I want to talk about that a little bit more because. So she's has the sense of her parents. And I thought this was kind of an interesting part. I'll have to talk about it when we when we talk about what I know of the Cassandra Apollo myth. Okay. Which is, to be honest, not a huge amount. But I thought it was interesting how much or how little Katie Robert deployed it. Okay. All right. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, any other tropes? Uh, he talks about the few times he's seen her in pants as, mm-hmm. oh my God, pants, mm-hmm. which I thought was funny because <laughs> clearly these are 
not set in a time period where pants are rare, but I guess her wearing pants is rare. Um, yeah. And a little bit spoiler, but mostly funny. Her ex is a treasonous bastard. Yeah. Sorry about that. Spoiler. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that was extremely big. Yes. All right. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the Apollo Cassandra myth. Honestly, the only thing I know about it is that about these two, I did not even know until after I finished the book that Cassandra was a priestess of Apollo. Had no idea. But um, basically, the only thing I ever remember about Apollo is that he's associated with the sun. Mm-hmm. He's I understand. OK, yes. he's not Helios. I understand that. Oh, my God. OK, <laughs> but the and then the thing I knew about Cassandra is that she can see the future, but no one believes her. Yes. Right. And I think it's interesting. So the only place we really see this, the myth be deployed in the book is that in the past, Cassandra's parents were murdered and she went to the police to report the murderer. And the police did not believe her side of the story. Mm -hmm. And that's basically it. I thought this was going to come into play later in the book. It did a little bit. Because the whole reason. Apollo wants Cassandra there with him is she sees things he doesn't. It's much more subtle, but I do think her insight is the driving like why of this book. That sure. It was it's the part where no one believes her that I thought was going to be more um, got it. Okay. I thought that was going to be more in play in several places in the book. There were several places where it could have been used. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. Which, on the one hand, takes it away from the myth. On the other hand, I liked how it played out, so I'm not complaining. But there were places where I think it could have been pushed. I know that this just doesn't bother me at all. Like, it doesn't bug me. Um, It doesn't bother me. mm -hmm. If you're gonna throw out the reference point world building, you gotta do more of your own. That's, I mean, that's fair. That's totally fair. Because really the only thing we know, we you're right. We don't, we're not learning more about how this 13 works. We don't understand how this pantheon really works together or apart. We're understanding that there are allies and factions and things like that. But we don't really get, like, I do not understand why these outsiders want to join the pantheon. And you know, like, modern-day America exists. They talk about New York. It's almost like this is Liechtenstein or some other small country that, like, operates independently except with a magic barrier. And especially in this book, Apollo mentions something about the magic barriers falling. Yes. It's a throwaway in this book. It's clearly something that's going to be built up to in further books. Yeah. I mean, they they started – they talked about it in the last book. They're talking about it more in this book. But also, like, why is that a big deal? I don't know. my favorite part is when Apollo is like, everyone thinks the 13 knows, but we don't know. And I'm like, yeah, because the author doesn't either. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe we'll find out someday. Maybe we won't. Yeah, she'll figure it out. But like, mm-hmm. it's the the wider world building is not the point. No. And you are either someone who gets frustrated by that or you are not. Well, I'm basically just like, I'm just going to read this relationship. If I like the relationship, I'm going to like the book. And I loved Cassandra and Apollo Lane. There was a lot to love about them. 
so number one was the the competency king right like cassandra is the best at her job of all time and she makes apollo look good and he really appreciates that about her (laughs) and he is described as being excellent at his job however everything we see on the page is he's shit at it which confused me but you're told they're both highly competent you're you're told they're both highly competent but also basically she so cassandra i think does see him as he's good at his job but he's good because he like forms relationships with people and gets them to tell them things but that's really it he's just like nice and like not he keeps me. being described as a spy master who has no intuition for subterfuge. <laughs> Look, I I see him as being like, well, here's the thing: everyone in Olympus knows that he's a spy master, right? Yeah. No awareness of situations around him. No <laughs> instincts for when people are lying to him or what people's ulterior motives could be. But that's because he doesn't normally, I think, do the actual spying. He's just like the clearinghouse for the information. Yeah, you make excuses. Which is, that's fine. I am making excuses. But isn't this also like him correcting me? No, this I don't know very much about. But I was I was reading my daughter's DC Superhero Girls book. And one of the superhero girls is Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. right? Who's the daughter of Zeus. And then they go to Olympus. And there was a whole page of all her brothers and sisters. And one of them was Apollo. And it had to do with, like, information. So I was like, maybe he's just, like, gathers information. He has a chariot which carries stuff. There you go. Okay. Point is, a spy master in this Olympus needs to have any sort of discretion. No, he doesn't need discretion at all. Apparently what it needs is... um, He's a guileless child. Which Good is personnel management. <laughs> uh, I also the way thought... they work together is fantastic. If you don't yes. think too hard about the Pantheon and his role in it, they are a great team. Correct. I already mentioned this, but she's the grump and he's the sunshine. And this is, it's not a trope reversal because that is stupid when you say this is a reverse trope. But it's one that you don't see as often. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's it's the rever- it is the reversal of the manic pixie dream girl trope, and I like that, right? Because manic pixie dream girls are not allowed to be grumpy. Yeah, and Cassandra is like basically a bitch all the time, and I love her. And manic pixie dream boys are also billionaires, so it's fine, right? So, and I'm not saying, I mean. He's a little bit. It's kind of a manic nursing dream boy. A little bit. A little bit. But I don't hate it, though. And I also love their fake relationship. Loved it. Loved the way they talked about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I love where they're like, well, we're already pretending to be sleeping together, so let's just do it. She has a line about halfway through where she's like, so originally this whole we're going to make out was our like cover for we're going to go spy. 
but now it feels like this we're gonna go spy is the cover for we're gonna go make out and i was like yes that is the type of emotional complexity i'm looking for so good i loved it yes that's the perfect kind of emotional complexity yeah and then yeah i also i do love the fact that for years they were just you know got to be professional around each other but thought the other one was like so hot the fact that neither of them caved mm-hmm divine it makes the caving here feel so much less squicky and complicated yes, exactly exactly i loved it Something that we didn't mention and wasn't mentioned in the book jacket, um, I'm going to bring it up now, is that Cassandra is fat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I just want to mention it um, just so you know that this, this is a, a, in quotation marks, plus size heroine. And I loved that it was, like, she didn't gloss over it, but she, it wasn't like this it wasn't the kind of romance that you read where she feels better about her body because he's into her or Agreed. you know what I mean? The only thing that struck me about her size is that plus size heroines are often viewed as like less desirable or as more niche. He's a half Asian hero where mm. like he's described as being half Korean. How, so I guess Korea exists in this universe, <laughs> uh, which is something we learned. But there's often, you know, tropes and stereotypes about Asian men being less desirable that are equally bullshit. But you don't see any of his introspection about that. So I just thought it was true. interesting that there was a plus-size hero and heroine who, for completely different reasons, maybe aren't what you, like, are, have been viewed as the stereotype of sex appeal. And you got a lot of her thinking about her sexiness as related to, like her size as being appealing like her voluptuousness and her giant tits mm -hmm. and like good for her whereas you got like one throwaway line that he was asian and then none of the same introspection or character development or even talking about what she found attractive about him none of them were his distinctly asian features like i just thought the contrast was really interesting yeah i mean i'm gonna be completely honest either i didn't i i didn't read that or i forgot it which should tell you how much she talked about it in the book i think it was literally one line. Mm -hmm. I believe you. So it's, it's the contrast that is interesting to me. Not yeah. like clearly whatever more fat heroines. I'm here for it. But I think there's a difference in the way female and male sexuality and sexual desirability are portrayed in these books that mm -hmm. we probably aren't going to have time to get into in this episode, but that's just one more example. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the TLDR version is that these books are written for women to consume and so the heroines or the female main characters desirability and ideas about themselves and their own sexuality is much more fleshed out than the heroes and for all that this is a inclusive sexuality and gender are not binaries but spectrums um society that is portrayed here ultimately every single book has been about the way men desire women mm -hmm. and validating women and positive sexual relationships for women. And that's great. Like as a heterosexual female reader, I am here for it, but it is interesting to me that in a, a explicitly queer universe, the lens has not been turned on men in the same way by men or by women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me about the heels, Lane. Fucking hell. 
Okay, so the very first chapter, she climbs like 32 flights of stairs in six inch heels and talks mm-hmm. about it. And then she starts later in the book is stumbling around because she doesn't wear heels much. Yeah. And then she has to change into flats and she wears heels to a garden party in the grass, but then has to change into flats. I'm just saying this woman's relationship with stilettos made no fucking sense. <laughs> it was equally just prescribed as like, those are attached to her feet at all times. And that is the way everyone has always seen her. And she just does everything in heels to the point that like, she'll bitch about it. But like, it's because this is the way she always is to like, she is a fumbling baby deer. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but you don't get to have both. Yeah. I don't wear heels. Potentially too much of my personality is heels and lipstick. You don't get to have both. Yeah. I mean, for me, I don't wear heels a lot. So every time she was like, these are painful. I was like, yeah, no shit. They're painful, but she's also willing to climb 32 flights of stairs in them. I know. It started that. And I was like, that's uh, that's really high. She's And they're also, they're painful, but she wears them at every opportunity throughout this book and clearly wears them all the time. There is like either you don't mind them and you wear them all the time and you're not going to bitch about it or you don't like them. So you don't wear them because if you wear something you don't like to conform to bullshit standards, you're the problem. Mm. Look, I love heels. I wear heels all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. If somebody I was with was like in six inch heels because they look good and bitched me the whole time, I'd be like, can you please put on your flats now? You wouldn't be like, break off your heels like in the moon? No. I just, I found it very inconsistent. Like Mm -hmm. Katie Robert wanted to simultaneously say something about her desirability while also like admitting that it's a construct. Mm -hmm. And I just, it actually annoyed me. Every time her shoes were brought up, I was like, I chop off her feet. She doesn't need feet. (laughs) She doesn't need feet. They're not relevant to this story. It's You're clearly trying to say something with all of these shoes on and off. And like, I don't care anymore. It right. was it was literally constant. There's a scene where she's spying on someone, so she has to take off her shoes, and she notices the other woman's converse. There's a scene where he makes her go back to the room to change into flats so they can go chasing after. Like, literally, her shoes are a plot point in almost every chapter. So, besides her heels, are there other content warnings, Lane? These books are utterly insane. Yeah, they are. There's so much, like, beating people and murdering people and attempted murder and... It- I mean, you said earlier that it feels like a mafia romance, and I agree. Like, that's, you know, there are people getting capped, or whatever you want to say. There are people who are going to get drowned. People are going to get shot. People are going to get literally beaten to death. Mm-hmm. I mean, and didn't it feel a little bit like this book was the Italian mob coming to Greece? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So you got the Greek mafia versus the Italian mafia, and they're being infiltrated, and it's like clan wars. Clan Wars. Yeah. Okay. How sexy was this book? Girl. <laughs> you know how I've been saying I want a bossy hero for a bit? Mm-hmm. 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 A plus. Are you saying Apollo's a little bossy? A little bit. And it was real good. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there are so many things that she does so well with their sexual relationship talk about sex that serves the plot well it's sex that serves the plot but it's Which also is good it was so much of the book <laughs> yes i mean thank god but also i feel i do feel like when you read about kink it can go wrong in many ways 
And one of the ways it can go wrong is that it you get a little too preachy about it and you can, they're too perfect at the kink. You know what I mean? Yes. And I feel like she does, she does it really well here where it's clear that they're both consenting to it and they're both into it. Um, but she doesn't make it not sexy. I also didn't get the sense that this was like always their kink. Right. Like it wasn't character defining for them exactly. overall. It was just like, a, oh, we figured out through the course of conversation, we'd both be into this thing. Let's do this thing. Well, and I love how she's like, hey, can you do this thing? Yeah. And he's but like. I get the sense that like he only fucked women he could tie up. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it, you kind of got the sense that like he'd done it before. He liked it, but he liked a lot of other stuff too. But she clearly liked it. So that was the thing they were going to do. Mm-hmm. And it was never yeah. preachy. You're totally right. And when they were, <laughs> when they were like, let's spy around the manor and they just had to have sex in a public place. Okay. Lots of boyerism kink. Yep. Little bit of, oh God, I'm going to butcher this. Shibari? Shibari, yep. Yeah. Um, a lot of dom sub. Uh-huh. And a lot of praise kink. Yeah. Does that cover the major? I think so. I think that covers it. So. And. In terms of the value of restraint, Miranda Halifax could learn a thing or two. I think. I think the other thing is that. The other way that kink can go wrong. And we've talked about this many times. Is that it can be like. Like you said, character defining. But also like. Like. Therapy. Or a trauma response or... Trauma response, whatever. And here, like, sure, there are moments where she's like, I'm really stressed out, so I would like to do this. But it wasn't like, this is my therapy, and this is it going to read, heal. like, I'm wound up, I'd like an orgasm. Mm-hmm. The fact that and the fastest way you can do it is if you time me up. Yeah. Correct. Did I love that her ex was involved in that? No, I did not. And mm-hmm. do I love that every time someone mentions Shubari, I think of Army Hammer? No, I do not. But that is not Katie Roberts' fault. No, it's not. And I wish you hadn't said that because now I'm going to have to think about it. Damn it. Yeah, the dark days of Twitter. Mm-hmm. It was just, mm-hmm. it was extremely high heat. Yes, and it was. Praise. Maybe some of this has to do with the fact that the, there isn't much wider plot or world building, but it didn't feel like them fucking all over the place was the most egregious thing going on. It was like, okay, that's part of it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Distracting. Like you're seriously going to fuck now. This was was not like like a Will and Elizabeth getting married on the pirate ship in the middle of the battle and Pirates of the Caribbean three thing. Like no, every time they were going at it, you were like, yeah, this is a good time. I mean, look, here's the thing. You might not love the plot. You might not think the plot makes much sense, but does the plot give them a lot of excuses to get it on? And it made sense. Yeah. 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 And that is Katie Roberts' greatest strength. Are they hot for each other and are they both hot? Yes. Hot people being good at stuff, including doing each other. Mm-hmm. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> Put that on your next book jacket. <laughs> hot people doing hot stuff and being good at it. That's what I want to read. That's what I want to read. That's what I want to read from Katie Robert. And most of the time, that's what I get. Yeah, this was a really great couple. Uh-huh. I loved them. I really loved them. I loved that he was 
like on the himbo spectrum. I mean, you know, I love that. I just find it really hard to believe a himbo is a spy master. <laughs> okay. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, Apollo. Again, I don't know that much about him classically, but I feel like he could be a himbo. I agree with you. I don't think he could be a spy master. <laughs> I I don't think we're disagreeing here. Anyway, I think you should read this book. If you're if you've been loving this series so far, keep going. Like I, I don't <laughs> think that there's anything here that would either blow your socks off or disappoint you if you yeah. know you like the first three in the series. I mean, Apollo and Cassandra could blow your socks off. They blow a lot of things. <laughs> they do. They really do. And they do it well. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love it. If you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet wherever you find plot trysts.